Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. At the end of every year, I think it's always really great to do a bit of a review about what the Lord has has done in, in our lives and the lessons that he's taught us. And, and I really want to speak a message today that perhaps could seem a bit like a leadership message. Uh, I, I felt the Lord giving me permission to kind of turn the heat up a little bit this year and to really um, help him in uh, discipling and bringing a greater level of maturity to, to the body of Christ. I think these are the, this is the age and the time that we're in with the, the conflict, and, and I'm not talking about physical conflict in this nation, but the, the ideological conflict. It's important more than ever that God's sons and daughters are mature and able to, to handle the truth in a, in a righteous way. I want to bring to your uh, attention two scriptures today that many of us would overlook or think are odd, but they're going to be the frame for this message today. The first one is this, Proverbs 16:31. Check this out. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. Come on, all, all our silver foxes out there, go ahead and give a big old amen. It is attained in the way of righteousness. All right, now that one was for the fellas. Now for the ladies. Can we pop the next one up? Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Very sadly, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So, so these two scriptures are equating just as the physical body as we, as we age diminishes and may grow a little dull, no matter how much Botox we put in there, and the hands of time are gonna have their way on our physical being. <laughs> and isn't that a crying shame? <laughs> but the Bible is equating here that with maturity, with gray hair and aging, actually should come a, an even deeper, more profound beauty that comes from the inside out. Uh, the whole emphasis and idea behind these two scriptures is as God's sons and daughters mature physically, they should also mature in their character. Yeah. And I think one of the greatest griefs you and I could ever experience is to have an aging body, but a juvenile character. Wow. Like, wouldn't that be robbery? Yeah. To look 47, but then have the brain and the emotional quotient of a 13-year-old, like, wow, how sad. And so I want to bring some thoughts to your attention today, and I've titled this message, Growing Pains. How many of you remember growing pains when you were a kid, when you were a teenager, and you would wake up in the middle of the night with these body aches, and it was painful, but it was actually a sign that you were maturing that you were get, getting healthier, that you, were, that you were growing, you were becoming an adult. And true for the physical body, true for the, the inner man, we, we'll all experience in our journey with God called discipleship, these growing pains. And so 
I wanted to bring seven thoughts of things that God has underscored and highlighted to me as a pastor this year um, in my own life, but then as I've pastored, that I think are really going to help us understand better some of the growing pains we face in our maturing and becoming those people that are praiseworthy long after the physical part of us has diminished and dimmed. Are you you picking up what I'm putting down here? Right. Okay. So I've got seven thoughts and some of them are going to be a bit ouchy and I'm going to bring them to you today and it's going to bring comfort to you, but then also some instruction. And I I want to set you up to win in 2023. So we're just going to get straight into it because I have seven points and I backed up the parking. My apologies at the 8.30 because I preached too long. So let's do this. The first one, deal with offense the biblical way. Now, yeah, thank you. Um, Jesus is very clear in the book of Matthew chapter number 20 that offenses must come. In the last days, many will be offended. Okay, so offense is here to stay. You could be sitting next to somebody very offensive right now. And I can guarantee when you look in the mirror an offensive person is going to be staring back at you, okay? So, so what do we do in an offensive world? We're, we're going to get offended. People are going to hurt us. They're going to agitate us. There are people in church and out of church that have that sandpaper anointing that rub you up the wrong way, right? So what do we do? The solution is to say, is not to say, well, well we're never going to get offended and we should, you know, it's never going to, wrong, no. You will. Every day, you're going to have to dodge an offense. You can dodge a ball, you can dodge an offense, okay? Here's what I found with offense. It's actually an opportunity for God to test and prove the genuineness of our faith. That's what the Bible actually says in 1 Peter. It says that God will allow trials. Often God is the orchestrator of the drama. How do you like them apples? Because he, he wants to test and prove. Like, how much are they committed to personal growth? How much of Jesus will actually shine through them when they have an opportunity to pick up an offense and they choose, like the book of Proverbs, to overlook a transgression? Now, listen, there are some transgressions that cannot be overlooked. They must be looked into. And that's where we actually have to discern, is this something that I can overlook? Just recently, I was in a conversation with someone who was jabbing me with kind of like these passive-aggressive insults. Kind of, you, know, you know the passive-aggressive insults? Like, you're not, you, you know, if under investigation, you couldn't prove without reasonable doubt that they were doing that, what they were doing, but they were doing it. Oh, boy, were they doing it. And I felt the Lord say to me, you can fight back, you can, you can match offense with offense, and you'll get offense's reward which is a fractured relationship, a lack of peace, and a bitterness in your spirit. (laughs) Or you can actually aim for a well-done, good and faithful servant right now here on earth and have me whisper to you what nobody else can hear or see, I'm proud of you. And, And it's not that I didn't feel it. It's not that I didn't experience. It's not that it didn't hurt me a little bit, but I just made a decision. I'm not picking that up. And you know what that means? I'm not going to think about it. When the devil tries to resurrect those thoughts and those feelings, I'm just going to say, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going there. 
because this person is a part of my world, whether I like it or not, and I refuse to be bitter. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what the Bible says. When we're kind to someone who's unkind to them, it's like we put hot coals on their head. And if they feel any guilt, it'll be over the guilt that I've been kind when they've been unkind. You see how we can change the game here? Deal with offense in the biblical way. There is a biblical way to deal with offense. I've never seen Christians act more like atheists in 30 years of pastoring as I have around the area of offense. What do I mean by that? When people get offended sometimes, they act as if there's no God. And unless they fix it, it shall not be fixed. Like God doesn't see. Like there's no God in the world or, or, or even greater, there's no God in the room who watches over the evil and the good. So here's where we have to leave things to a degree. Now, again, I'll get to the other point where it's like I just can't get over this and some more action needs to be taken. There is a point in, in our life where we have to mature to the point where we make a decision. I am going to refuse to choose offense even when I've been offended. Solomon breaks it down even further in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows, and this is where he kind of zeroes in on the real issue, the hypocrisy. When we want to take offense, we oftentimes forget the fact that we too are offensive. I, w- I want to crucify them for the word they said. But but you did that to someone else yesterday. Like, you are literally now wanting that person to be hung and quartered for something you did 20 minutes ago. What's going on, America? Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that you, that many times you yourself have cursed others. And I will ask you today, if you're constantly being offended, are you just reaping what you've sown? Why does everybody criticize me? Why does everybody judge me? Are you just reaping what you've sown? Because the Bible says with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's a good way to look at this. It kind of changes the game a little bit. Then you're like, oh, offense. Oh, no, no, thank you. Ah, I don't want that. Because you'll understand very quickly how very quickly God's gaze can shift from the offending party to the offended party when we don't deal with it in a biblical way. It's tight, but it's right. Or maybe it's a bigger issue. Maybe the offense is something that is a little harder to get over. And I understand that. I do after being alive for 47 years, that there are some very legitimate offences out there that can't be, no matter what you try, it just, it sticks. And you've prayed about it and you've released it to God and it's not that you hold unforgiveness, but it's just something that needs to be addressed. Well, the Bible actually has the method on how to deal with that also. In Matthew chapter number 18, 15 to 17, write this down. This is wisdom for living. If another believer sins against you, go to them privately. It doesn't say go to a whole bunch of friends who have the same issue and get a broken amen. It says go to the person who has offended you, sinned against you privately, and point 
out the offense. But what if they don't respond the way that I want them to respond? It doesn't matter. This part here is your responsibility. This is your responsibility. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, uh, do whatever, wherever it is possible, whenever it is up to you, be at peace with all men. So all God is asking us to do is what we can do. Have, have you done everything you can? Have, have you addressed the offence with maturity? Have you come to them privately? If they haven't heard it privately, have you brought two, two trusted people to bring in a biased second opinion to the matter? Okay, have you done that? Have you forgiven? Have you not stirred it up in others? You know what I've realised during this season? People like being mad. And, and they, they want a villain to pin their madness on. We live in a stressful time. And people have got a, a bag, like they're walking around with a bag full of rocks. And they're just, they're just waiting to pin the tail on a donkey. <laughs> oh, I, I want to use these. Somebody give me a reason to use these. Right? So don't stir it up. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, there are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination. The seventh one is one who sows discord in the church, in the community. God doesn't like it. Do you know why? Because God's greatest requirement in the church world is unity. In order for God to accomplish what he wants to on on the earth, which is blessing and eternal life forevermore, Psalm 133. He needs a church that is mature enough to be committed to the bond of peace and the spirit of unity. Amen, Leanne. That's good stuff. All right, that's point number one. And with all these points, I'm giving you a mini-series, okay? We're doing a Netflix binge. Um, I'm going to give you little thoughts, and this is for you to take notes and go home. This is very much a, a teaching message today because I want to prep us for this next season. I really do feel in my spiritual waters that this next season is going to require God's sons and daughters to grow up into a level of maturity that they don't currently occupy. And if you're, if you're down in the dirt, squabbling over petty fights, you're not going to have energy for the fights that matter. So just let's, let's just make a decision now. You know, I think a heart that hasn't allowed itself to be so tainted with offence that has then led to a root of bitterness is the greatest pillow you could ever sleep on at night. And I've made a personal decision, and it's not that I, you know, don't get offended and people don't hurt me. Of, of course they do. But I'm never going to let somebody else's foolish actions steal from me something that is so valuable, and that's my peace. My peace is not up for negotiation. And you can be a jack wagon all you want to be, but I'm not going to join you in your play. I'm going to continue be over here being nice, being kind, forgiving people, and uh, getting over stuff. Amen? I'd love it if you'd join me in that. So the second thought I have is this. No leader is perfect. And I realize that this, this point could be construed as me being self-indulgent, and, and I'm not. And I'm willing to say it because it's right. It's, it's a righteous thing for me to teach you. And I fear God too much to manipulate you or gaslight you, you know, to overlook maybe things in us or our leadership team to just get you to comply through, I'm just going to teach you. I, I, I fear God. I fear God. But this point is right. 
There is no leader that is perfect. God is going to ask you, can you follow an imperfect leader? Now, that doesn't mean an immoral leader, a leader that's given to apostasy, apostasy and is all of a sudden preaching, you know, every crazy wind of doctrine. That's not what I'm talking about. You're, you're not to throw wisdom out of the mix, but you are to understand every pastor, Christian leader, connect group leader, insert name here, that God is asking you to follow is going to have a level of humanity, of human dysfunction. Let me give you a beautiful example that God gave me. It's the example of Ruth and Naomi. Now, Naomi was God's ordained spiritual leader over Ruth, God's ordained person to get Ruth out of the, the loss and the dysfunction of her past, out of the perverted land of Moab, and take her to a place in God that she didn't yet currently possess. That was Naomi's job. However, Naomi wasn't as pure as the wind-driven snow. Sister had some issues. If you read her story in the book of Ruth in the time of Judges, you will see Naomi renamed herself Bitter. She doesn't sound like a barrel of laughs. She had some trauma and some residue and some PTSD because of the things she'd experienced in life and it made her imperfect. And yet God had divinely connected these two women and Naomi was the catalyst for Ruth's breakthrough and redemption story. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I've been in five churches my whole life. High Church of England, Anglican Church, and then we got spirit-filled, so we went to the Church of Christ in Australia. And then my husband and I were sent out as, as leaders and went to a, a different church in uh, New Zealand that we were part of. And then, of course, with Pastor Phil Pringle at C3 Church in Sydney, and now our church. That's five churches. Do you know what I've... I've figured out as the common denominator of every single church leadership, including the one that we now currently lead, um, is in all those churches, imperfection in the leadership. Again, not immorality, but humanity. Does someone need to be perfect for you to follow them? Because you will miss out on a breakthrough story and you will find yourself circling from church to church and connect group to connect group. And I'm not saying that God does say an end there and a beginning here and there are some people that need to be left, but I'm saying to you today, do you understand that every person God connects to you in the point of leadership is going to have some human residue? And oftentimes it's just a personality thing. Oh, I don't like how they said that. I don't like how they did that. I don't like how they go in there. I don't like... Like, if you, if you live that way, you're, you're going to miss out everywhere in life. Amen. Don't, don't bash other churches. It's kind of become a bit in vogue. Like, even in our city, I got sent a few messages. I'm like, ooh, no, we are not in competition with any other church in our city. Our enemy very clearly is the devil and I'm not jumping into the wrong kind of arguments and I'm not going to have foolish contentions and discussions about theological issues that don't matter. If you come from another church, don't bash your pastor. I realize sometimes there's some real talk about some of the trauma that can happen in churches, but just make sure you're of the right spirit. No leader is perfect. Amen, Leanne. All right. The third thought. Don't try to rescue people that God is growing. 
this is hard. I've got four kids. Oh my gosh, I want to rescue them so bad. I'm like, within every mother lies the danger of snowplow parenting and I want to push every obstacle out of your way. I want to come in with the chopper and drop down the ladder into every perilous situation you find yourself in because your pain is my pain. And we can feel like that with people sometimes, can't we? But let me tell you today, if God has got his finger on someone, let God have his way. Don't interfere. Don't pull Isaac off the altar. Let God do it. Let God do what God wants to do. There were several people in my life this year and I've had to watch God get his magnifying glass and it's uncomfortable. And in so many ways, I want to rescue them and I want to make it better for them, but I can't because I would destroy them. I would break that baby bird out of the egg and he needs to break out himself. (laughs) Let me tell you a story about me when I was 11, okay? Now, this is going to be a shocking revelation for some of you. At 11, I shoplifted coffee, uh, cough lozenges from Kmart. (laughs) I was with two friends. My other friend stole a lip gloss, which is, I feel, like a higher crime and misdemeanor. (laughs) I stole cough lozenges, and we got nabbed by store security. I have never been so panicked in my entire life. I immediately started crying. I thought I was going to go to jail. I was having a panic attack as this big security officer and this very determined and A-type woman dragged my friends and I to a back room and called our parents. And I'll never forget what happened next. Um, My friend's parents came down and they tore the, the, the store security a new one. How dare... These are just young teenagers that, what did they steal? Something worth maybe $1.50? This is ridiculous. What are you doing putting trauma in in these girls? And they got their daughters and they left. My parents made me sit there for three hours. I sat in Kmart being stared down by the store security, thinking I I thought I was going to jail. I saw my life flash before my eyes. I saw myself in a stripy jumpsuit, running a cup across bars, like three hours. But you know what? My parents didn't rescue me, but I never stole again. Never stole again. Are there people in your world that you are tempted to rescue? And God is saying, by all means, support them, but don't rescue them. Because I'm teaching them a lesson. I got something I need to tell these kids. Maybe that's a message for mums and dads out there today. And you're wondering why your, your son or daughter at 30 is still desperately immature. Perhaps it's not so much them as it is you. You've rescued them. from. You can't rescue people from life. At some point, life is going to happen to them. And unless you still want your kids living with you and living off you in their 60s, we've got to learn this lesson today. We can't rescue people that God is growing. Can you imagine if the sailors hadn't tossed Jonah overboard? He created a storm because of his disobedience. Imagine if they tried everything to, you know, like... And they didn't come to their senses and throw him overboard and make him feel the consequences of his disobedience. 
they all would have died, everyone on the ship would have died, Nineveh would not have been evangelized and saved, and Jonah wouldn't have had some very valuable one-on-one time life lessons with the Lord. Some of you are going to have to watch the proverbial Jonah get thrown overboard and just trust God. He's prepared a fish and he has a destiny. It's going to be okay. Get your hands out of the mix, America. Fourth thought. Hardship can either strengthen us or crush us. The choice is ours. I once heard this. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, not necessarily. Depends on the attitude that you attach to this hardship. One of the greatest beefs I have with the ideologies of the left and many secular colleges today is that they cultivate weakness in people. And weak people cannot be good people. They cannot be counted on. They cannot contribute to society. So it's really a great wickedness to, to, to take a child that has come to you for learning and inspiration to be the architect of good and godliness in the next generation and teach them to be weak. Teach them that they should be offended by thoughts that are different to what they feel and shove them in a safe space and give them a puppy and a lump of Play-Doh so they don't have to feel their feelings. And and we we put them in a bubble to, to rescue them from something that God actually divinely designed to strengthen us. Hardship, by definition, is hard. Life is going to hold some hard things. And I want to be a woman of faith and hope and and love, but I also want to be realistic. You're going to face some hardship in life. I mean, I had had some waking up to do when I was a mother in my 30s, and I I had to reconcile and reckon and find God when my eldest son was caught up in addiction. And it, it, it pressed and pushed me in ways that I've never been pressed and pushed. It, 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 I felt compressed on every side. I, I felt like I was being crushed. But it was in that moment that I believe the woman that I am today, the, strong, the strength that I had, the strengthening that I was able to draw from a place in God that I would not have been able to draw from otherwise has made me a, a stronger woman, a more resilient woman, a more compassionate woman, a more well-rounded woman. You think of the most, the most unfair book in the Bible, like hands down is the book of Job. 48 chapters in the book of Job. It's a good, good read. The first chapter, it talks about how good Job was. You, you've never, God's like bragging about Job. What a, what a good man. And then for the next 46 chapters, his world falls apart with hardship. Everything happened to Job. But you know what? The beginning of Job, we see Job introduced as a good man. At the end, we see him a better man. What happened in between? Hardship. Everything happened in between. And Job says something so powerful in the final chapter of Job. He comes to God and he said, Hearing, I had heard about you, but now seeing you, I see you. And I've got to say to you today, that's the truth of my story. I love the mountaintops. 
I love the victories. I love, woohoo, look at us, Awaken Church, twisted, night of Christmas, woohoo. But what has made me the woman I am? Hardship. Enduring hardship. God is going to ask us to endure some hardship in this lifetime and not allow it to take us out, but allow it to send him to him. In, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. We find in hardship a God who cares, a God who sees, a God who strengthens, a God who gives us grace to endure what many people in our world cannot endure today. I will tell you that awakened recovery came about because of the hardship that we experienced with our eldest son. I, I took that pain and that hardship, I submitted it to God. I turned up to church every Sunday. I gave a sacrifice of praise. I was still able to love my husband and take care of him and look after my kids and build the church because of God's grace and strength. But not only that, the fruit, the fruit of hardship, awaken recovery, other people's children being brought into freedom because I went through something hard. How amazing. There's a scripture in the Bible that many people don't read because they don't read their Bibles. And it says this, God speaking to Israel, I will give you the treasures of darkness. I will give you the treasures of darkness. How shocking to walk out of a dark season and have nothing to show for it. But when you walk through a dark season with God, he'll give you treasures. Oh my gosh, I didn't have this when I entered, but I have it now. And even though I wouldn't wish what I experienced on my worst enemy, it gave me a gift that no other season could give me. How many of you remember that action movie where everything went right all the time and they were always living their best day ever? Yeah, you don't remember it, do you? Because nobody ever made it. And if they did, you wouldn't see it because it would be boring and dull. How amazing that we want to go see movies that we would be like, in the natural. Oh, we're entertained by it when it happens to someone else. Oh, go you, go Rocky, go. <laughs> but then we're, we're asked to endure the slightest hardship and we're faint like a 1800s maiden after smelling salts <sighs> on the fainting couch. I'm trying to think of the best analogy. Maybe that wasn't it. <laughs> When, when we get to heaven, God is not going to look for medals, diplomas, degrees. Thank God. <laughs> He's going to look for scars. <sighs> My son has some of those. Didn't Paul say the sufferings? We will suffer with the sufferings of Christ. What, what gives us unity with, with the Lamb of God? What gives us an understanding? What? makes us strong. Jesus, I suffered too. And just like you, I endured, I withstood. And God showed me a side of himself that I never would have seen otherwise. Somebody say amen. Amen. The fifth thought, you can't coexist. These are so random. I'm sorry. Some of of them are just not going to like, one of these things is not like the other. Okay. You can't coexist with the Jezebel spirit. I failed to put that in there. Because, you know, I would say that this year, the Holy Ghost has really revealed that to me. I am a pastor at my heart. I love people. I didn't go into ministry because it pays well, okay? I went into ministry because I love people. I, I honestly wake up every day thinking, how can I help someone today? How can I be an example 
today, right? But you know what I've realised with that being said? You cannot pastor a demonic spirit. They have to be cast out. And I want to tell you that as you go into the Christmas season, because there's nothing like family time to particularly reveal this particular Jezebel spirit. Let me break that down for the new Christians in the room. A Jezebel spirit is like, it's a spirit of control. What did a Jezebel spirit do? If you read in the Old Testament, it tried to control every environment that it was in through fear, aggression, emotion, and threats. Anybody know anyone like that? Perhaps the mother-in-law? Perhaps the mother? Perhaps dad? How do you determine who this person is? Let me give you, and it could be you. Look, look for the Jezebel within. Just in case, I don't want you going on an external witch hunt before you go on an internal one, okay? <laughs> okay, so, so how do you know? And I say this to you today, not to make us all into super spiros, but I want you to learn to, to order your private world. I, I want you to learn to take authority over the atmosphere in your personal world and, and your family, okay? And not tolerate or try to pastor or pander to things that just need to be flipping confronted. And there's too many rascals out there getting away with stuff and disturbing the peace in churches and homes because nobody confronts them. I feel like we've got to get better at this. And I'm not talking about being mean. I'm talking about standing in a godly confidence and saying, this atmosphere will not be tolerated. Don't let a broken, dysfunctional, control, meddling person get a hold of the spiritual atmosphere thermostat in your home. That is reserved for you. I'm setting it to faith, hope, and love. Now you get your little skeletal hand off that thing, and if you try, I'm going to slap it. <laughs> this is what it may look like. It's that person that no one can cross. That one person that no one can confront or they are blacklisted. The one that every person has to pander to. That one that when they aren't around, it's like a spell breaks and the peace returns, right? You might find yourself saying things like, don't say anything, don't bring it up. You know how they are. They're never gonna change. Don't challenge them because they'll make your life a living hell. Your life is already a living hell. Let's get some heaven in that place. Stand up in your spiritual authority like Elijah did when he confronted Jezebel and said, we ain't tolerating this no more. Now, unless you change your ways, you're going to be an uninvited from the dinner party. Because there's a non-negotiable in my world, and it's peace. And you keep disturbing it and stirring things up every time you're in the room. Now, you don't need to say this publicly. At least try it privately first, right? But, but let me just give you, like, just the best story out of um, the Gospels of when Jesus had to confront this spirit in a home around a dinner table, right? And most of us, we're not going to be doing full-on battle with the Queen of Heaven, Jezebel. Yeah. It's like Jezebel Jr. It's like Jezebel Light, like little Jez, little Jezzy, right? She's, she's going to try. And the thing about this spirit is it shapeshifts. It can be in different people at different times. You know, we all have our propensity. We all have to watch. 
But Jesus did this. So Mary and Martha, classic scene. Two sisters. I mean, the, the eldest fit all the stereotypes of the eldest. Martha was, you know, she was operating in a little bit of a controlling spirit. And you, someone who operates in control, everything has to be done how they do it or they freak out. Do it my way or it's wrong or you're in sin. Ah. And they control the atmosphere through, through aggression. And if I just raise my voice or I, or I manipulate you with threats or if that doesn't work, I'll start crying. I'll use emotion and get you to feel sorry for me, which, which usually used to, used to get me. You start crying. Oh, let me love you with the love of the Lord. And the Lord would say to me, you're pastoring something that you need to be addressing. Doesn't mean you've got to be mean, but it does mean let them cry, let them, let them finish their act, and then go, okay, now let's, okay, now let's talk about why. So that's what Jesus does. Mary, Martha comes to him and she's in a state because she's always in a state because people aren't behaving the way that she thinks they should behave. And she gets mad at her sister because she's daring sit down and spend some time with the Lord. And Martha comes over and she at the audacity, she tries to control Jesus. This is how the spirit works. She's not content with everybody. She's got the son of the living God. And she's trying to tell him what to do. Master, Jesus, tell her to help me. And I love Jesus. He just, straight away, he doesn't try to pastor it. Come here. Let me love you through this. He says, Martha, Martha, you are the problem. You are worried and troubled about many things. And you've got no peace in your life. And you're trying to control everyone else. And I'm not having it. Do you see your sister? She's chosen the better thing and it will not be taken from her. Drop all the mics, take several seats, hashtag boom, go Jesus. So I'm asking you to take some authority. Husbands, as the spiritual leaders of your home, it may fall to you with that family member, whether it be a wife, a daughter, a son, uh, an extended family member that comes and tries to to control the atmosphere, stand up in your home and just make a confident declaration and stand that this house thermostat is going to be set to faith, hope and love and Jezebel cannot enter in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The, the sixth thought. Bullies lead to breakthrough if you let them. A bully can either torment you or teach you. In 1 Samuel, we see the story of Hannah and Peninnah. The Bible tells us that, that Hannah was barren and her rival Peninnah would torment her daily so she wept and did not eat. But it was that same bully, that same rival, that actually so agitated Hannah out of her distress to believe God for breakthrough. You know, we've lamented Governor Newsom, but really he's been a gift because we didn't realize how much we loved freedom till we had to contend with a tyrant. And look, God bless Florida with Daddy Santos. 
But, you know, we've had to, we've had to learn how to contend and fight in the underbelly of the beast. And you know what? It's taught us something. <laughs> Honestly, that peace and harmony never can. It's taught us how to fight. It's taught us what's valuable. It's pushed us to a place where I'm not sure if you know this, but there was a lot of transformation in, in California. In fact, many are saying that California was one of the greatest victories in the last election because of the amount of things that turned. Why? Because of the bully and the rival. Your bully will change your life if you let her. Don't let your bully be a torment. Let them be a teacher. One of the greatest teachers in my life was a bully, a rival. When I first went into ministry, I should almost send her an offering. She taught me things that, that no nice person could ever really have taught me. She taught me everything that I didn't want to be. She gave me the perfect example of what kind of leader I didn't want to be. She made me feel things and experience things that I had to say within myself, Leanne, never forget how this feels and never ever do it to anyone else. It's all how you look at it. Your bully can lead to breakthrough. Amen. And then finally, take responsibility for your inner world. This is your life. Like, make a decision in this next year that you're not going to blame people for the way your life looks. Your mom, your dad, your, your upbringing, the society, your pastors, friends, whatever it may be, stop blaming people and take responsibility for your inner world. I'm renaming 2023 to 2020 free. 2020 free. But we'll only ever be as free as we choose to be. So, so this year, when God sets His gaze on you, don't look away and don't ignore. Sadly, I saw several friends over the last three years who had the gut. When, I'm telling you, when God gets on something, let Him have it. Let Him have it. Everything that is hidden, everything that is secret lying within will be revealed. So we'd be foolish to disregard the nudging of the Lord in 2023. What's He got His eye on? I knew several people in the last three years, God had His eye on something, that, but they ignored, they excused, they pushed it away. And with a matter of months, they lost everything. The Bible says, do not despise the chastening, the discipline when He puts you in a place where he's trying to refine you. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Often we don't put discipline and love together, but discipline when it's done righteously is the most loving thing. And there are so many times that God has put Pastor Jürgen and I, but I'll just speak for myself, but me in, in that vice. And I'm not gonna let you get away, Leanne. I want you to see this because this is a limitation over your life. So many things he's had to deal with me over, over the years. And you know what I've realized? It actually never stops. It doesn't, I think, I mean, 2023 is gonna, is gonna hold some interesting moments for me with God, but then so will 2024. Until when I'm 
105. I'm looking 75. And finally go to heaven. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just put that out there. You hear that, Lord? Prophesy, prophesy, prophesy. We're being perfected, the Bible says, until the day of his returning. So every year is going to hold something where God's like, yeah, I'm bringing this up now. Oh, would you not, Lord, for the love? No, actually, it is for the love that I'm bringing it up. Because you, I love you. And I love you too much to let you walk around with spinach between your teeth. We're going to take that out now. Your skirt is tucked into your underwear. Everybody sees it. It's time for us to deal with it because you're showing your butt to America. All right, that'll do, my friends, that'll do. Growing pains. So if you take that wisdom to your life and you allow God to have every part of you, oh my gosh, he will do so much more with your life than we could ever do in our own strength. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for, for your deep love for us. Sometimes it's painful, it feels like painful love, but it's pain that's been sent to grow us. Grow us in a way that the good days never could. Father, we submit ourselves to you, just like the Bible says, you are the potter and we are the clay. And we say to you today, God, mold us, shape us, Form us into the vessel that you have created us to be. And going into 2023, we surrender and we submit every part of ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. Or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.